and a new guest. My guest today, I'm super excited to talk to him. He was the senior growth manager at Headspace and joined right when it started. So today, Headspace is a world-class digital subscription product with over a million subscribers. Now, he's leading the US and the EMEA growth teams at Bird, where he's responsible for paid acquisition, channel marketing, product development for growth and price release strategy. Declan Bond Schweitzer. In case you don't know what Headspace or Bird are, Headspace is a meditation app for stress, anxiety, sleep, focus, fitness, and more. And Bird is a micromobility company based in Santa Monica, California, and their mission is to make cities more livable by reducing car usage, traffic, and congestion. So today, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about Declan's experience as a growth manager at Headspace and at Bird, and what are the differences between dealing with a physical product and a software. As a young product manager, if you want to go into growth, where do you start? And what are the recommendations from Declan that you can apply? So let's get to it. Welcome, Declan. Declan, what is growth management? Uh, yeah, so, you know, the way I think of, of growth as is kind of uh, having multiple kind of domain areas. Um, so one is going to be obviously in the growth marketing end of the spectrum. Um, that's using kind of channels, CRM, email push notifications, and then paid channels, all the ad networks, um, you know, various kind of ways of communicating with users outside of your kind of owned ecosystem. Uh, there's also obviously a kind of core product elements. Um, which I think can be split into kind of two general domains. One is a kind of generic uh, set of product developments, you know, onboarding flows, registration funnels, you know, payment flows. These things are, are generally accepted practices across the industry. And, you know, some small tweaks here and there can be really kind of meaningful. But in general, a lot of this work is grooved out. And then there's the kind of product development that is uh, very bespoke and uh, kind of not generic that's specific to your product. Um, so that might be, you know, the, the way you configure your referral program or, you know, how you structure payments or, um, you know, kind of uh, other, you know, price relief tactics um, that are triggered by kind of product features, whether it's loyalty or, uh, you know, some other kind of action-based, uh, you know, pricing structure. Um, and then finally, kind of cascading into that as well, there's there's a kind of price, uh, you know, articulation and, and price relief uh, and discounting strategy. So the kind of financial engineering behind um, both the kind of growth marketing aspects um, and also behind the kind of growth product aspects. So those are the kind of like three broad domains that I kind of in my head split uh, growth into. There's lots of work to do in all three of them always. It's uh, very funny because, um, at least for me, I thought growth management and product management is something completely different and they're separated. But you do see that it's heavily influenced and they're they're complementing each other. So you made it the perfect segue for me to ask you the second question. How heavily involved is it in the product role? How much percentage is it taking actually from a product management role? Yeah, so I think, you know, every product is different. And I think growth is still a pretty nascent category of work um, within technology. So uh, I think different places you go will have, you know, different SKUs. Um, and, and in some places, it's very kind of marketing heavy. 
And the biggest lever for growth is outreach and looking outside of your ecosystem. Um, in that case, you know, obviously uh, the, the best channels are going to be kind of more on the marketing end of the spectrum, ad networks, some of the CRM stuff. And then on the kind of with products that are very heavily influenced by or the, the monetization events are very heavily influenced by the way the product flow works. Those obviously are going to lean more heavily into product management and feature development that's structured towards, uh, you know, monetization. I think, you know, within that, there's there's also a kind of sub layer that is maybe uh, is is somewhere in between the two, which is uh, actually product managing the growth marketing tech stack. Obviously, in, in some regard, a growth manager is relying on uh, at least a growth marketing manager is relying on the engineering resources of, you know, someone else's company, a Facebook or a Google or a CRM platform. Those engineers are building kind of generic tools, whether it's a CRM platform or an ad network that then a growth manager will leverage in order to drive their KPIs. But, you know, you have to do a lot of integrating. So if you are going to run, you know, huge budget growth marketing campaigns, uh, and have a really large user acquisition body of work, you're going to have to have an MMP and you're going to have to implement that MMP and you're going to have to send events from your app uh, that are relevant to monetization back through your MMP to your ad networks. And there's a good bit of kind of product management work just on the back end to make all of those things work and make sure that the data is flowing properly. So, you know, I personally think of growth as, as very much a product driven uh, exercise. Um, I think some people, you know, will, will think of growth more as a marketing driven exercise. And obviously it has that marketing element to it because you're dealing with messaging and comms and, and how those things are articulated. But the real edge, if we think about creative being equal in, in different scenarios, the real edge that a growth marketer will get is if they have better data, better implemented tools, more visibility into how different, you know, actions are driving their KPIs or not driving their KPIs. Um, so I think a really tight marriage uh, between growth and product is super essential. Yeah, that's true, actually. And the more I, I read about it, I realize that. Um, but I want to know at Headspace and at Bird, how, how is your role working for these companies? Because, yeah, like it's growing super fast. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think Headspace and Bird are, are kind of good examples of two companies at either end of the spectrum. Headspace, obviously, huge uh, user acquisition component, did a lot of marketing, a lot of the marketing side of, of growth. So spending a lot for, for advertising, really focusing a lot on the top of funnel, whereas for Bird is kind of the inverse, right? So we had uh, a, a ton of vehicles and the vehicle allocation really determined what the top of funnel looked like. So just to kind of walk through that uh, more explicitly, um, you can target people with ads on Facebook or Google or other ad networks. And in the case of Headspace, you know, the conversion event is just a series of clicks away. So you can think of it as one kind of unbroken click stream. If you wanted to, you could, you know, download Headspace from an ad and then immediately click through to subscription and the monetization event has already taken place. You can do that from your couch. Now, it's the kind of pure inverse for Bird, right? So in the case of Bird, you, you know, might get, you know, you might see a, an ad on, on a network, click, download the app, and, you know, birds aren't in your city. Or 
uh, or you know, hopefully that's not the case because we're not running ads in your city if, if birds aren't there yet. But let's say they are in your city, but they're in a different part of your city. And so then you have to rely on uh, organic, you know, someone actually being close enough to a bird, bumping into a bird to actually make that first purchase and, and kind of transact in the, in the first time. So um, in that sense, the lever of paid advertising is very different than in the case of Headspace where the clickstream is completely unbroken. Bird's case, it's, there's a huge traverse um, between that, that download event from an ad to an actual monetization event. Um, so that kind of completely changes the way you approach growth. So yeah. you know, obviously, you know, as a, as a result of that at Headspace, I've spent a lot of my time thinking about, you know, how do we optimize all of the click streams, whether it's from an ad, you know, top of funnel, um, all the way through to conversion, or just from within our ecosystem using, you know, email, push notification, CRM to drive people towards those conversion events in a kind of unbroken click stream. Whereas Bird, it's, it's much more a matter of capturing existing demand. Um, so when people have downloaded, making sure that we keep bird top of mind, making sure that the flows are super seamless, do show interest in, in taking a ride, um, that we're able to deliver that as best we can, given where the scooters are in the kind of physical world. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely different strategies uh, for each company because one is a software company, like you said, it's an app. And then the other one is like a physical product, right? So I just want to know, like, what are the challenges that you faced as a growth manager in terms of like, okay, this is a physical product. What are, what are the things that we need to focus on when we do have a hardware product and when we have an app? Yeah, totally. So I think this is, this is one of the things that totally took me off guard when I arrived at Bird. I think, you know, I just had, had, not really considered how big of a traverse it was going to be from those digital environments um, where I think typically growth is, is most comfortable to a kind of physical environment where you have to rely on, yeah, like this organic impulse to go and find a bird or to bump into a bird um, and then take a ride. And it's really, you know, it, it's forced me to think outside the box. I mean, even to the point of, you know, changing my strategy from all digital to actually, you know, thinking about, okay, what if, you know, as a growth manager, I'm going to do the thing that most growth managers would never dream of doing, which is actual physical advertising out into the world. Um, so we've done that, you know, for example, with hang tags, like hanging little cards and, and discounts and promotions on birds physically. Uh, and things like that. So coordinating a lot with the operational layer. And I think, you know, those exercises have been really interesting. The other thing that I, I think I've learned working at Bird is that it, a lot of it becomes about just engagement and making sure that people are engaged. People are opening their app as much as possible and looking for the moments when people are very likely to already have Give, shown a signal that they're interested in taking a ride and making sure you can take advantage of that. So when someone opens their app, for example, that's like a huge signal for us that, you know, they're interested in taking a ride. And so we need to do everything we can uh, in order to make sure that we're able to deliver on that. So for example, you know, one of the ways we measure ourselves is, you know, how many kind of app opens, you know, end up converting to actual rides. And what are the levers we have to pull? Can we send a push notification? Can we follow up with educational emails about where birds are densest to our users so that they know where, where to go when they want to ride a bird? 
I read a lot about bird when I uh, when we were preparing for this uh, podcast uh, episode, and what striked me is that you, yeah, we uh, you kind of aggressively went like thought about growth from the beginning. I think is that is that true? Like, was it intentional that you thought about growth from the beginning? And that takes me to my second question: is when should we talk about scaling and growth as product managers? In, a, in building a startup. Yeah, totally. So, for, you know, I'm a growth person at heart. For me, you know, growth is, is the first com- conversation right there alongside product. And I think the, the reality is that product, I think, is, is often, you know, really responsible for the kind of product market fit. And, you know, making sure that what's being built is actually relevant to a group of users out there. And then growth is kind of amplifying it so that we make sure that all the users who it is relevant to actually have access and understand the product, getting exposure to it. Now, the thing is that you can have product market fit in a very niche community and build a product that's super valuable for a very small number of users. And you would kind of, in a technical sense, from my perspective, have really great product market fit, but that's not a scalable product. You know, That's only relevant to a small community. And so I think you have to start with both finding product market fit within the kind of early adopter community and making sure that you've got something solid enough to scale at least to that small community, but then always be keeping your eye on, okay, but what about the people who, you know, aren't early adopters, who aren't super tech savvy, who aren't, you know, and a lot of the decisions that we made at Bird were directly influenced by the ambition to, you know, make sure we weren't just there for, a small group of, you know, scooter kind of enthusiasts or something, because there's a world where this business is just very, you know, isolated to that kind of level. So, you know, things like, you know, using QR codes, um, which is really something that hadn't been used at all in the West, super popular, obviously, in China, and, and, you know, they kind of live on QR codes over there, but it really hadn't, hadn't worked in the same way in the US until the scooter industry exploded by using this super light touch way of getting people to download, getting people you know, into the app. And so I think you know, using those kind of filters on, on how you set up a product roadmap, which are kind of growth oriented ways of thinking can really you know, help you both push forward your product market fit outside of the kind of comfort zone of, of the early adopters. So I definitely think it's like, you know, they should be in lockstep always. And I've definitely, you know, had friends and kind of others go off and start startups that are super awesome and, and innovative, but are also definitely limited because they're really focused on a kind of smaller user group. And, and yeah, I think it's an important consideration to always be thinking about, you know, where's the growth in the next step. Yeah, I love how like you adopted what, like you said, the with the QR codes and also it was a very gray area and the way you dealt with it, it's like, okay, let's just go, you know? So I think that was awesome actually. And um, I have a question regarding what you said about the ones who are maybe very limited and very niche, um, that scaling is not really a thing for them. How different is it? scaling in terms of like, okay, we're going to go local or we're going to go regional or we're going to go global. Is that a thing that we should consider as product managers or product managers who work in growth or something? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even just from structural perspective, there's certain products that are just going to be more difficult to scale globally. You know, fintech startups, for example, you know, they're often, uh, you know, this is why we see a lot of them kind of geographically confined is because laws in different countries will change the way that certain processes operate. Building all new engineering stacks for each of those different use cases can be super difficult. So, you know, I think depending on the industry, depending on the product, you know, there's tons of different ways to scale. And I think, you know, for example, with social networks and, and trying to start like a new social network, this is like always one of the big challenges, right? Social networks are effectively valuable because there's a large community. So in the early days, it's really hard to imagine that being valuable because there's such a small, but in those cases, it, it might make sense to really start local, make it a really kind of small, tight knit community versus wanting to go like really broad, expand quickly. Um, so I think, yeah, first, first things first, you know, understanding what the market for that specific industry looks like and what the kind of parameters that you're operating within are, that are established. And then I think there is a kind of feedback loop between product market fit and growth um, that needs to be achieved. So this is kind of what I was alluding to before, where you want product to be pushing forward something that's super relevant to existing users. And you also want growth to be amplifying the existing product to users who maybe aren't within the sphere already. And then the product should learn how to adapt to that kind of new cohort while also still staying you know, true to what, what is relevant to the existing cohort. Um, and if you have that kind of flywheel where new users are always integrating into the product and product is learning how to accommodate them by building new features, by tweaking their existing features, by doing that, that process like really will be the, the growth cycle. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Yes. <laughs> Actually, I wanted to ask you how if you were a young product manager or someone who wanted to, to go into growth, back in the day, what would you tell yourself? Like, okay, man, <laughs> we need to talk about this. I need to tell you this. What would you recommend to yourself if you want to go into growth? First question is think hard about where you want to end up. It sounds like most of the people listening will be on the product end of the spectrum, but consider all the, the kind of different domains. So growth marketing, even within growth marketing, there's lots of domains. There's paid acquisition. There's specific paid social there's you know, CRM. I think on the growth product side, there's also lots of domains, people who are just really focused on those kind of generic pathways. So conversion flows, payment flows, registration flows. Um, and then there's people who are more kind of on the spectrum of product where they're really thinking about feature development and feature development that's geared towards monetization. So I think one thing is to kind of think about that in my case, you know, I actually took the opposite path and I've kind of tried to be more of a generalist where I think about growth as I want to be given a metric and a KPI and, and understand the goals. And then I want to be given free reign to go out and figure out what the right lever is. Is it a product lever? Is it a marketing lever? Is it a pricing lever? So obviously a lot to unpack there, but think about like where you want to you know, end up there's lots of different places um, from the more specialized areas to the more general approach. So that's like one thing. Um, there's three other kind of things that are coming to mind. So one is pricing. I think, you know, growth, it, it's not typically a, a function that um, sits super close to pricing. 
or sometimes it's not. And I think, you know, there's so much to do with pricing that being really good at understanding kind of pricing psychology and unit economics of the business, um, that's always been kind of a North Star guide for me, especially when you're, you know, working at companies with high transaction volume, but low actual transaction costs. The bird is a great example. You know, there's, there's so much that happens in those, those small margins, you know, with credit card fees and advertising and, you know, losing little bits of change here and there. And so a lot of growth can come on the revenue side from, you know, optimizing little pieces of the unit economics. That's something I wouldn't have known until later in the game. Uh, number two, I think, you know, really uh, data familiarity and data kind of fluency. I'd say, you know, one of the things that, you know, I find immensely valuable is people who can write SQL and who can query a database themselves. Um, it's something that, you know, I rely on analysts a lot for um, now, but in the early days, you know, when you're scrappy and you're trying to get stuff done and you want to, you know, you're hunting around for insights, there's nothing more valuable than being able to like, write a quick query, uh, understand what's going on in the database um, directly because, you know, having to wait for an analyst to produce a report or, you know, a dashboard to be built, it can often be time consuming and take, a, you know, a lot of effort and you may not find the insight that you're looking for. And so being able to improve the speed of your insight gathering within the product is, is gonna be like super, super valuable. Along with that, I'd say, be really mindful of all the events and analytics events that you're tracking um, and, and stay on top of all of them. Make sure that you've got events firing in all the relevant places that you're curious about how users are behaving because the worst thing that can happen is you ship a feature or launch something and, and six months later you realize you, know, you weren't tracking in the place that you wanna be tracking in. So really kind of try to have as much foresight about that as possible. And yeah, I think those are the three big things you heard it here first, people. This is how to become a growth manager. That's super cool, actually, because there are so many aspects to growth management that I literally had no idea about because it's also kind of new, a new concept to me because uh, it was either the marketing that would do it or it was product. And then there's you can see in so many companies, there are loads of product managers that actually put it as a, a goal, right? So they start junior and then they like move up to growth. So yeah, we collected questions from the students. Holy wow, they have they have a lot of questions for you, Declan. So get ready. <laughs> How does the growth strategy change over time with the growth of the company? You were talking about this earlier that that you have to kind of adapt to where your product is going and then find strategies to make it fit. Can you elaborate on that more? Yeah, so like I said, I think the, the basic concept is that product is building what is super relevant to the users, uh, and then growth is, is kind of adding new users to kind of that product will then adapt to. I think when that's going really well, then that's really it. Like you just want to do that to the end, and then you just keep growing, keep adapting the product, keep growing, keep adapting the product. I think, you know, one of the big questions that happens for a lot of companies is they they start, you know, developing kind of very diversified segments within their product. And then there's like a big question mark, like, hey, wait, how are we going to satisfy all these different user segments with 
the existing product, which is really, you know, meant for one of them or, you know, only a few of them. Um, so for example, you know, you, in the wellness space and headspace, you know, a lot of the companies that were doing meditation apps at the time back in, you know, 2017, 2016, um, were grappling with this, right? Because meditation is super relevant to a host of different uh, issues and it can be really relevant for a lot of different problems. But it's, it's hard to create specific sections of one app that are relevant to each of these from both the resource constraints and just a positioning and making it user-friendly and things like this. So, you know, this was a big question. Um, and I think in those cases, you know, there are some hard questions that you have to answer from a product perspective. Really, really, what are you about? Um, and, and what product and, and service is really the core of your business? In the case of Headspace, you know, I think we realized that meditation being the core didn't preclude us from also having verticals in other domains. And the first of those was sleep. We knew that lots of users were using Headspace at 10, 11 p.m. local time. Obviously, you know, we knew that from hunting around in our data. Like I said, you know, just writing a SQL query and seeing, you know, what is the average use hour uh, for sessions and things like that seeing, you know, different spikes at different times of day. But, but yeah, so, you know, th that was an indication that, you know, we really could pivot into sleep as like a whole separate part of our offering. And, and this is an interesting case where that feedback loop is really kind of solidified, right? Because growth is bringing users into the funnel. Product is building features that are relevant to that new user. And then they're building, you know, features that allow growth to go out and market a new way in, right? So now sleep is a complementary entry point to Headspace's product, uh, kind of alongside meditation. And, and so I think, you know, working to diversify the portfolio as you, as you grow is, is kind of natural. Um, and the guiding principle should really be, you know, what is relevant to your existing users and what is going to bring in new users as well. So you see this across a lot of different industries. Um, FinTech is doing this a lot, you know, where a lot of diversified or what were a lot of kind of singular offerings uh, before have started to become diversified as people realize, okay, we need more than a cash management app. We need, you know, also a savings component and an investing component. And, and so there, there's a lot of movement going on in that category i i by the way speaking of uh headspace and sleep i'm one of those users actually <laughs> you, you got me there <laughs> i'm like yep right before i go to bed <laughs> you yep. know it was awesome and i did actually see that it, it was kind of satisfied that need that i wanted you know it's like okay i need to meditate right before i go to bed headspace did that for me so congratulations mister <laughs> Have you ever launched your own product or plan or, or are you planning to do so? Okay. So I have not launched my own product. Uh, it's, there's a few different things that are in the works. I think, you know, for me, I do like using the kind of skills that I have uh, developed in my professional career for kind of personal aims, but that's really manifested more in kind of helping my friends with their their projects and things like that. So I've, I've done a good bit of uh, on the side consulting work for, you know, people that are, you know, launching cool products that I really love. It's something that I think is really valuable about growth is that it's, a, it's slightly more broadly applicable than some of the more product focused disciplines. So being 
kind of a pure product manager means that, you know, what you're really, really adept at uh, in many ways is, is managing engineering resources and making sure that, you know, every, you know, kind of engineer is, is strategically on course to build the most valuable feature for, for the company. And the reality is that, you know, lots of companies are not using engineers to build their products. They're, you know, doing, you know, other things. Um, one of my best friends from childhood that I, I work a lot with owns a rock climbing gym and, you know, that's, that's his business. So, but growth is super relevant there still, right? So you can still have a ton of wood to chop um, in those kind of domains that are less digital, less tech focused, but still have a big kind of role to play. Um, so that's one of the ways that I kind of, you know, have poured it over. Now, all that said, I do have something in the works. It's still kind of under wraps, so I'm not going to say too much, but it's, it's going to be an exciting uh, product when it launches, hopefully by the end of this year. Okay, I'll be an early adopter and then I'll, I'll cross the chasm. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> it was amazing talking to you and I learned so much to the point that I want you to like come to Berlin and actually teach us more. <laughs> we're, we're, on the, we're on the way. We have a sea of scooters, yes. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> You're more than welcome to come over and like, you know, just beat the market. We just remove them. <laughs> Great! And that was it, you guys. I really hope that you learned as much as I did today. If you want to be notified about product management in our episodes, subscribe right here. And follow us on Instagram at Code University. If you want to check more about Code University, check out our website at code.berlin. And guys... Stay tuned for our next episode because we have a lot of exciting things cooking. See ya!